on the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute that millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast. Listen, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone for all of the, the messages, the DMs, and even those of you who have come up to me in person to express your support after the announcement there the other week that David has left the podcast. I took a couple of days just to kind of regroup and figure out what the next steps are for the podcast, but we definitely do have plans, we have big plans, and some very big announcements actually coming. So the podcast is absolutely not going anywhere. We were up at the ISPS Hannah Media Day at Galgorn Castle. There'll be a video coming from that. That was a really, really good day. Had loads of fun. We played with Stephen Watson from BBC NI and Ross Oliver from Galgorn. So that was a lot of fun. Really, really enjoyed that. It was a lovely sunny day. The golf was great. Some bad golf in there as well. So there'll be video coming from that and you'll get to see all of it. It was great fun. Next week, we will be up at the Clutch Pro Tour Pro-Am. We'll be filming that again. It's going to be a lot of content, video and audio coming your way over the summer, which is going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. In this episode, I'm joined by Mark Fox from The Plug Lie. We recap the PGA Championship, Brooks Kepka's win, Michael Block, Rory, his struggles. We recorded this a couple of weeks ago. So this is before Hovland won that memorial. Uh, so there's a little bit of grief that I give him that's now already outdated so just kind of bear with us on that I'm delighted that Hovland won big fan of his but I kind of was just of the opinion that he was struggling when it came to Sundays in the major and of course Tom McKibben had his maiden DP World Tour win at the Porsche European Open which is brilliant to see congratulations Tom to you and all of your team we'll do a proper podcast on that win what that means for Tom and his team very very shortly but before we get into anything else, here is the PGA recap with Mark Fox. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast. Today we are recapping the second major of the season, the PGA Championship, possibly the best major we've had in the last, I'd say the best major we've had since Tiger's win in 2019. To join me now, I've got Mark Fox from the Plug Lie. Mark, how are you doing? Pleasure, Johnny. Um, probably the best major championship we've had in the worst major that there is all year round so it's funny people, that people give like the pga that. some shit but i i i like it i mean it, it's i've liked it for the last few years i thought kiowa was good it had a few years where it didn't really have an identity i get that but it's uh it showed its teeth for the last two years yeah i suppose it's kind of clashing a little bit with the us open now between like 25 yard fairways and long rough and firm greens but i'm all here for it like we don't get this on the PGA Tour week in, week out, which has always been my issue, is the fact that a lot of it is just track man golf and the soft greens, and they just hit the yard edge and the ball stops. Here, you had to really grit it out. This is a lot of my talking points on Twitter this week, was I want to see players being brutally tested, not just physically and to their talent, but also mentally, like, oh, you got a bad break, oh, you got a bad lie, how are you going to deal with it? And for 69 holes or whatever 70 holes we did get that and it turned out really really well for them it was a it was a very very fun event and oak hill i oak hill really turned up um 
on Twitter, kind of in the lead up to the event, we'll probably have a chat through who who some of the people we both thought would have done well here, but or else who we fancied to win. But there's a video that went around of like Aaron Rye trying to hit a hybrid out of the rough and just like it looked impossible. And Aaron Rye's no like he's no slouch, he's a very, very good player. Like he got dogs abuse online, he got crucified online. Yeah, but he wears two gloves, Johnny. Come on. <laughs> it was that was probably the one event where like he'd been leading, you know, he'd been preparing to wear two gloves for this event, didn't make the cut, and then it started unholy opening up from the heavens on Saturday, and he wasn't even there. Yeah. Um no, I suppose the coverage leading into it was brilliant as well. Like in terms of we saw a lot of the PGA went out and they did a lot of behind the scenes shots and videos from players taking different shots and like I know that they brought No Lane up and they brought um, just a few other people there from Twitter eyes and players playing a lot of different shots around the green, which maybe I'm just with short-term memory here, but I don't feel like we got that last year. It does mm. a video of Max Homa hitting a five iron, a pitching wedge and a putter up the apron of a green or on the, up the fringe of a green. And it's like just having all those people on site just made the build up a lot more intense and better, I suppose, for the viewer. Yeah. Going into the event, who who did you think was going to go well? Like, I remember tweeting out that it was hard to look past John Ram winning what I had dubbed the Ram Slam. Winning, I I was convinced he's going to win all four majors this year. He was just primed to do it and do something that only Tiger had done. Not to be, but who did you like going into it? I was really disappointed in Cam Young. Um, I know that he missed a cut and things did not go well for him. He finished nine over through two rounds. But to me, like he seemed like he had that sort of caliber of play. It seemed like that sort of caliber of player that could just bomb it around. Like a lot of the dialogue leading into the event was, oh, you have to be able to hit a 320 yards and then have a really good uh, long iron game. And to me, Cameron Young ticked off those boxes for a player who was 30, 35 to 1. I was just really disappointed to see him uh, nine over through two rounds. Another player was like, who. I suppose take the similar similar boxes was Tony Fino, and I just we just want to see Tony in contention here through one of these major championships. He's too good of a player not to be in contention. Um, yeah, I suppose just looking through Twitter, some of the other players that people potentially had ticked off Xander and Cantley and Homa. I'm out with Patrick Cantley, like, and I it's not as a person, but as a major competitor. He's had four top 15s in his last four majors. But apart from that, he has been awful. And those four top 15s that he's had, he's never once really been in contention, from my yeah. memory anyway. So I don't know how people keep going back. Perhaps some people love being tortured, but uh, <laughs> I think that's where you're going if you're going for Patrick Cantley. Yeah, Max Hummel's another one. Like he's His major record is is very, very poor. And even going into this, now LACC might be very might be different. I mean, it's, he seems to only win in California, realistically. But okay, I just had no confidence in Max Homa going into this event, and I think that's it, it. Pretty much came came good as well. Um, he just did not really perform. Going on to the live guys, leading into this event, obviously we'd had like Mickelson having that charge at the at the Masters, which is a fairly different setup. It was a fairly non competitive run, regardless of where he finished. Brooks Kepka, who obviously has gone on to go and win, was in the final group on at the Masters on the Sunday, and then he kind of just shit the bed pretty badly. He spoke openly about how he had learned something or found something out and had gone on to go and 
and win this event. But leading into it, there wasn't a lot of form that you could go off of. And then the guys that you thought would do well, like the form horses like Cam Smith or DJ, who are two players that you think always can get up for a major, didn't really show up, which was like a lot have been made now that Brooks has won it. People are like, oh yeah, Liv is great. It's perfect. 14 events and you can give enough downtime to practice for the majors. But I'm not sure that there's any method to the madness to this. No, like... <laughs> People always say, and this is always going to happen, like the second a live player got in contention that live bots and Twitter were going to jump on and say, oh, live is the perfect format for these players who want to compete in majors. No, Brooks is just the perfect animal that is capable of competing in majors year in, year out. He didn't have a top 50 in any major in 2022, and he came out that, he came out this year, he finished second at the, second at the Masters? Third? Yeah. Fourth? Something like that. And he, finished, he goes and wins this week. Like, it's nothing to do with the fact that Liv is just a... It's a perfect format for him, but in terms of your everyday golfer like DJ or Bryson or Cameron Smith, I don't think it's I don't think it's great for them, but at the same time, Cam Smith finished tied ninth last week and Bryson finished tied for fourth. So, uh, listen, these players, they're still world-class players that can compete anywhere in the world on a given week, but it doesn't mean that Liv is just a perfect format for them. And I think we saw that with Cameron Smith, who's been relatively poor this year he finished tied 34th at the Masters um, after having a pretty poor live season up until that have you been watching any of live? <laughs> no so Highlight, that, highlights on Twitter so that's it as well it's, it's also very hard from our, our perspective to go just to watch it and go oh well they're playing well because it's a smaller field so like if you're doing badly you're doing badly on a smaller scale because it's a smaller field but then when you win, it's also kind of hard to tell, like, how good what's the quality of the field real realistically because the variance is so small. Like that's exactly it. Like you can have four top tens on live, but who are you beating? Like Andy Ogletree and whoever. Like it's it's just it's not a deep field, and the top fifteen players are potentially good and could potentially compete on a weekly basis, but. Realistically, with their baseline, they only have to beat fourteen players or fifteen players week yeah. in, week out, and that's where the whole OWGR uh, points thing comes in. It's like if a golfer finishes twenty, how many points should they get? Because twenty is middle of their pack, but yeah, half the players shouldn't even wouldn't even be on the corn would probably be in the corn ferry tour. Like, yeah, a twentieth and live is not it. It does not equate to twentieth on the DP World Tour or, or definitely not twentieth on the PGA Tour, where you've got to beat out another hundred and sixty guys and make it to the weekend. Like. And guys at the top of their game as well. Yeah, yeah. So then the the week began, and we you know we saw all those classic videos of balls being dropped in the rough, and people asking what would an eighteen handicap shoot around here. We kind of got the uh, the Mount Rushmore or the bingo card of all the classic major cliches. Again, we spoke about it kind of earlier on. John Ram going into this was was for me one of the favorites, and I think for a lot of people probably was like what happened is just is is possibly the most obvious and easiest question asked but like it's it's one that kind of needs to be asked yeah like i think the thing about ram was nobody really knows what happens like the easy cop out is the fact that it was always going to be ram or chef are going to be top of this leaderboard it's going to be one of them but i don't think anybody expected ram to finish tied for 50th like no i think if in round one he was 142nd in strokes gain putting and 106th in strokes gain approach, and then he kind of picked that up for the rest of the week. But 
it, it was just a really, really weird week for Ram. And there, there is nothing to put your finger on apart from the fact that maybe he was exhausted just from competing all year and it just got to him at a course that was so brutally tough mentally and physically. And yeah, now he's number two in the world. But it was always going to be Ram or Scotty even Norton expected Ram to finish so far down the leaderboard. Yeah, I mean, like he he was also fairly vocal in terms of not liking some of the the course setup, like the length of the par threes and just the how long the rough was. But like, I don't know, John Ram's an angry man the best of days, so it's kind of I don't know what you can really take from that. But isn't that the thing that makes him so? To me, that's the thing that makes him so likable because if you look like a, a Xander or a Cantley, they're like robots walking around the course, whereas. People give out about Ram, Ram and the fact that he complains. And same like Patrick Reed. Like Patrick Reed was a character that we had in the PGA Tour and missing him now. You might like him, you might not like him, but isn't it better than having 145 Patrick Cantleys who doesn't have oh, any gosh. persona? And yeah. It'd take like nine days to finish a PGA tournament if we had 145 Cantleys. And nobody will crack a smile. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be shocking. Um, Yes. So like to me, I I just love Ram and I love the emotion that he shows in the course. And I love when he's standing there, he's a great fucking whole PGA and he's cursing and ah uh, yeah, it's just great. Everybody loves a hot mic. Yeah. And there were actually there were a lot of hot mics during this PGA. Like like Rory got done with one, um, Speeth got done with one. It seemed like there were a lot of hot mics going around the place, which again, like entertaining for you and me. Brilliant. Really enjoy that. Yeah, somebody's even throwing their club. And when I see a club throw, I'm just like, hell yeah, this is <laughs> this is the sort of course I want to be watching week in, week out in the PGA too. Um and like uh, let's be honest, like a lot of these players are gone soft. Like they give out about Completely everything, they whinge about everything, they don't like the course. It's like you're one of the top 150 players in the world. Get on with it. Like you you earn a lot of money to compete week in, week out. And just because you get a bad break, like you've only one of their holes to deal with it. Like, uh, like it's it's I don't mind them showing emotion on the course, but when they come out afterwards and they're giving out about the course and Taylor Hatton saying that Augusta National is an unfair course, it's like, man, like go out and just play your game and stop giving out about so much so much external factors rather than your own game. Yeah, I think I completely agree. The uh, tour players have gotten just just very, very pampered, especially given where some of the players have come from playing playing challenge tour courses, which, you know, some of them are in OK condition. Some of them are, are really not. Some of them playing Corn Ferry, which, again, you know, you get some kind of sketchy course conditions to be at a point now where you're complaining about like the rough being too long or the a court, a hole being so long, like you're you're John Ram, you're Jordan Spieth, you're one of the top 10 players in the world, like come on just like toughen just up deal with it like but, yeah toughen up uh, yeah i to be fair i expect some sort of backlash when they're out there but like i mentioned it's, it's only when they come in and they're talking to their press and they're like giving out about everyone and everything i don't know what your thoughts are on the whole i'm getting off topic here from the pga but um i don't know what your whole thoughts are on the golf ball rollback thing like to me that is a prime example because I know a lot of people will say, oh, I want to play the same ball as the pros, but realistically, there's like a Pro V1 golf ball that only like seven players or 10 players use in the PGA Tour. Like, we don't use the same clubs as them. We don't use the same ball as them. We don't play the same tees. But like Patrick Cantley coming out and complaining, it's like this re- this um update to the game or whatever you want to call it, 
will bring so many courses back to life and it will mean that Bryson isn't the only player that's able to wing a winged foot just because he can bomb at 340 yards. Like That's just, to me, a prime example of PGA Tour players being so soft right now. Yeah, I agree. I think like tennis did the same thing, but tennis governing bodies just changed the, the tennis ball and we're like, there you go. These are the rules. Get on with it. I think the worst thing that the USGA and RNA actually did was probably announced that they were going to do this and go through this process whereas if they just came out with a mandate being like this is changing on this date get over it and get on with it uh, i think it's a great i think like the ball rollback is brilliant for players um i think what eventually is going to happen because the lines get blurred between elite players like at what level does that stop i think eventually i don't know if you used this line before i think bifurcation is going to become unification where like if you want to buy a Pro V1 ball, which is now bifurcated, if you want to buy that in Halperty or McGurk's or whatever, you can. And you can just play that because whatever. And then eventually the non-bifurcated balls will just get, you know, discontinued or whatever. Because like Tour Pros are not playing with like true fields or Strix and AD 333s. Like there's already a Tour Ball and a non-Tour Ball. They're not playing my Lake Ball from exactly. my Pro V1 Lake Ball. So... Uh, the, the, like bifurcation is already here uh it's just got a different name you know yeah and just to i suppose make the roundabout point back to the pga like that was part of the fun this week is watching players hit five iron and six iron which does like rory will go through rory's mentioned before that he only hits his five or six iron like once a round apart from part three like on a part four he only hit more than a seven iron and something like twice in like four starts it's, so, it's something mad that he came out with and part of the fun this week was watching players have that sort of dispersion where their nine irons their dispersion are so tight but when they get to a five iron it's just a little bit wider a little bit more fragile and that's what's so good about it. and if we have the ball roll back it's going to be even better again yeah absolutely absolutely i think we've we've gone long enough without talking about the hero of the pga championship and that is clearly not brooks kevka that is michael block i mean <laughs> Like a lot of a lot of a lot's been made about this. I'm not really sure where I fall in this, apart from it's at in the moment. This is a cool story. My wife, who could care less about golf, she watched Full Swing with me. She was like, All of these guys look the same. I can't really buy into any of the stories apart from like Joel Damon's and Tony Finau's. She understood that a teaching pro was doing something very impressive here. And that that's great for golf. I think like that was really really good, and I got I got caught up in that. The circus that's now followed, I'm not necessarily sure I'm all in on that. But what a four days! My girlfriend texted me yesterday, sent me a TikTok of Michael Block and the CBS Sports segment that they did in him. It's like a minute thirty video. She highlighted with she started off her sentence with "I hate golf." Still, FYI, but this story is pretty cool. So when it's engaging people like that, like I, I, I don't know if I've ever, and I mean ever, jumped out of my chair as much as when he made the hole in one on fifteen. Because we were just after coming back from an ad break, and then there was a shot, and then went to Michael, uh, Michael Block at the fifteenth hole, par three, and he hits, it, and you don't even see the ball go in; it just slams down. And I looked at my brother, and I was like, "Did he just do that?" I, it just for a second. To be fair, people thought his reaction was kind of fake. Like, ask Rory, oh, did that go in? Did that go in? Like, I had the exact same reaction watching from the TV saying, did that actually go in? Like, I could not believe that went in. And then the power on 18 just made it all so much better. And, like, 
I couldn't imagine our pro and Headford Golf Club and County B going out and competing in the PGA Championship and if even being in the field, never mind finishing tight for 15th and getting into the field again for next year, where Roy McElroy will be the defending champion after winning the Masters. But, uh, like, uh, yeah, like, it, okay, okay, <laughs> it was it was wild the whole thing. That sentence there about Roy being like Masters champion is even more wild. <laughs> well, you asked for hot takes, Johnny. Oof, yeah, that's that's scalding hot, all right. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Like I thought, I thought Michael Block and when he made the cut, like I, I guess I kind of missed it because I missed a lot of the Friday's coverage. But on Saturday, seeing him play with with Justin Rose, I was like, that's pretty cool. And then you heard him talk about when he was doing the walk and talk on course, um, when he was talking about you know watching Justin Rose and and seeing some massive moments from his career. The, the presence of mind that he had to understand, like, I know I'm in a crazy situation here. And yeah, I'll probably milk this for all it's worth. But we're all going to have a good time while, while I do it. Completely agree. And I thought No Lane Up did a really good thing. Like, DJ and No Lane Up did a really good thing on this, just saying there are very, very few times in our life where we will watch someone and think they are at the pinnacle of their game right now while competing under the highest pressure that they could possibly compete under and for four days Michael Block did that and we were all expecting him to take a back seat and Saturday Sunday kind of wind down hmm. never, never happened like he went to a pub on Saturday night and had a beer with I a few that. random people and then he goes out on Sunday and shoots whatever 71 or 71 and like it's just to watch a man in action at the top of his game where he's not expected to be. It's not like watching a Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali. It's watching somebody who's not supposed to be there and still manage to get it done and reach the pinnacle of their lifetime, potentially. Yeah, it was like a real life like version of Tin Cup where he just had to make the shot on 18, made the shot on 18, and he didn't win the tournament. But no one cared. <laughs> no one cared. Like... It took away from Brooks Kepka. Like it Brooks isn't getting an invite to Colonial this week to play in the PGA tour and sponsors exemption. Michael Block is and I think this is where it's going a little bit overboard. He's going to play the RBC Canadian Open now next yeah. week as well. And it's all a little bit much like there's people there that probably deserve it a little bit more, but uh like you have you have to love the story and how he got there. Like the power at 18. I thought the par in 18 was more impressive than the whole one. The whole one's a bit of luck. To get that up and down from where he was, the commentators, Jim Nance saying, oh, this is impossible, blah, blah, blah. He, and then he makes the putt with the last roll of the golf ball. It was yeah. just sick. It was even like the golf ball knew it was a big moment and kind of just hung there for a quarter of a second. Just a little bit of like, oh, look at me. And then drops into the hole where everyone went ballistic. It was great. It was like, it was great fun. It was like Tiger in 2006, and I think he was using yeah. like a tailor-made ball. And like, I wish somebody behind got a camera on that. He's actually see. using a Titleist ball, which is ironic. Was he? Yeah, he's a tailor-made player with a Titleist ball. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, he's almost for... out using Titleist balls. Huh. Um, yeah, no, it was all class, but yeah, we could spend an hour talking about Michael Blockman and potentially where he goes from here, but... Uh... He goes nowhere from here. He'll be... No. Like, <laughs> I imagine he'll probably start doing a bit tv realistically he's obviously a very good talker he has the presence of mind to to put a sentence together on camera 
But uh, I think when it comes to competitive golf, I think it's done after next week and Canada. I, I think my, my last be. point, my last point on this is, he's great at playing up to the cameras. Super, really, like, really good. And I don't know if I like that. I think that's where it comes across to some people as like, oh, that's a little bit fake. Like the whole thing about Justin Rose, I look at him for four holes. Like it just sounded a little bit. Day. I think that's where some people picked up some sort of issue with him, but oh, I don't, I don't really care that much. I just love the story. <laughs> just made my Sunday evening a whole lot better with Chinese in front of me. Absolutely. I think if if it was a regular tour event, like if it was the Charles Schwab and Michael Block made this run and acted that way, everyone would be like, all right, mate, calm down, whatever. It's a PGA Tour event. But because it was a major and because it was the PGA Championship, obviously, like, the major that represents people like Michael Block, uh, I think it was it was a bit of a fairy tale story, which is just, it was heartwarming, to be honest. Yeah, I, t- I tell you what else was a little bit of a fairy tale story, like, and nobody really mentioned this. I'm not expecting anyone to bring it up now, but Eric Cole finished tied for 15th as well. I and saw he's that. And he's a man who's been struggling a lot. He finished second at the Honda Classic a few weeks back in February, and he finished fifth at the Mexico Open. But apart from that, he hasn't done anything. And now he finishes tied for 15th, which gets him into the PGA Championship next year, no matter where he is. He's 103rd in the world. That was just a good story. Like Eric Cole's 34 years of age, and now he's into a PGA Championship in 2024, Valhalla. Yeah, I think he managed to peak at the right times which is what the pga tour is all about peak the week before a uh, or the week of a of an elevated event get yourself into a couple more events and a major do well in that major and then after that like you know like he, he, is- he didn't win the honda but he he won in relative to his life and, and where he'd been to that point because he made what like hundreds of thousands like nearly half a million quid for coming second like his life was changed regardless of whether he came first or second in that event yeah, and only lost in a birdie to uh, Chris Kirk, but he finished, like, this is only his second major ever, and he finished tight 15th, and actually felt bad for him that nearly nobody spoke about that, but um, I think people are, like, you're trying to, we're trying to talk here about people peaking for majors, and there's one man who has to figure out this formula sooner rather than later. I think Oof, one man, I think there's a few guys that we can talk about on that, but I know exactly where you're going. So it got down to the final round and it got down to Victor Hovland versus Brooks Kepka. And like before we're gonna get into any of this, Hovland played very well in this this final round. But for me, Hovland has a Sunday problem. He's got a big problem, big Sunday problem. Yeah. You disagree. Okay, that's good. Okay. So like like look at so we'll start with um start start with the open. He was in there with Rory. Did absolutely nothing. Rory stayed in the same place. Victor Hovland backpedaled into like fifth place or sixth place, fifth place. Um, tied for seventh or so at the Masters, but again, it was not non competitive. He was in the final few groups, and again, he's in a final group here now at Brooks. And going into it, like every single person I talked to on Saturday evening. Every single person said that they're gonna win that Brooks is gonna win that by three, just because Brooks seemed far more together, far more confident in himself. But there was also just like there was no trust that Hovland could get this done. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> the, uh, there's a lot to get I, to. Then. I was 
incredibly, and I and I'm up, I don't mean this lightly. I was incredibly impressed with Hovland on Sunday. Um, like apart from that double bogey on the 16th, he made four birdies, one bogey. But I feel like every time I looked up at the TV, he was making putt and times that you were expecting him to weep away and not be there anymore. He'd just make a 10 footer or an eight footer. And to me, I, I just respected so much how he grinded around there. For sure. For sure. Like he, he putted incredibly, but, and, and I described the way he drove to a friend of mine. Like he, after every drive he hit and like, I, like his driving on the final day was fine but after he hit a drive he had like a little recoil like he was expected to get punched in the face like you know when you get into a fight and like someone preemptively recoils because they know they're going to get hit that's what Hovland looked like to me after he hit every drive and went off to the right or he pulled it to the left like he expected like he was going to get hit in the face yeah which doesn't inspire me with confidence at all and the putting you can't you can't maintain that. No, like yeah, he like he was eighth in strokes game putting on uh Sunday and he was fourth in strokes gain around the green and he made up and down he made six out of six up and downs on Sunday, which to me was all class and yeah. why for the fact that Brooks stuck it in tight, but I thought see the comparison I always go to is Will's out Taurus. People always put him out of contention because He's been there so many times and before he won and then he couldn't get it done and people were saying, oh, he's a bottler, he's a bottler. His putting stroke will never stand up to it. Then he wins a Tory points and it's like, oh, all of a sudden Will Zalatoris is good. And I, I, I just felt like this Sunday was definitely a turnaround for Victor Hovland. Like, I don't think there was any stage he bottled it, even on the 16th, he just hit a bad, he, hit a bad approach shot in a bad stance and a bad bunker that yeah, and he had to go for it. Like Brooks was what 20, 30 yards up ahead of him. He was in the rough, so he, but like he was always gonna gonna go for it. So yeah, like like Hovland, his decision was made for him on sixteen. He had to go for it. He couldn't lay up. He's already two back. Um it's two back or one back. Anyway, he was yeah, it's two back. Um but that was a pity, but it was just it was just insane the way the exact same thing happened to Corey Connors the day beforehand. Yeah. So like listen, I, I I understand the point about having a Sunday problem. Like Victor Halvins had been in top three of the leaderboard through fifty-four holes in each of the last three majors, hasn't got it done once. He went he shot um he shot a seventy-four at the open, he shot a seventy-four at the Masters, and then this time he shot a sixty-eight. I just feel like sooner rather than later, Victor is gonna be there in a major championship and he's gonna get it done on Sunday. And I feel like this will be a huge turning point for him. For sure. I think it was the first time for me he felt competitive in the Sunday of a major. Uh, like, I think it would have been a hell of a lot closer if he didn't go into that bunker on 16. Like, I don't I don't think Brooks hits as aggressive a shot as he did if if Hovland makes, miss, makes that fairway rather than hits it into the bunker. I think it, it ends very, very, very differently. I still think Brooks would have would have won it, but I think it would have gone down. It would have gone down eighteen. Um, whereas, like when it came to when it came to the Open and, and the Masters, he just he was just a bit of an. Uh, I, I'd equate it to Rory's. You know, when Rory was world number one and he was making like top tens everywhere and top fives everywhere, but a lot of them were backpedaling or reversing top tens. Where 
the number like the result doesn't really show that it was non-competitive i think the same can kind of be said for for hovland's top tens in in the last few majors but all that being said i loved the orange i thought like he was getting he was getting hammered like i really liked it i if i could pull off orange i would i said to <laughs> johnny you could you could lad i'm no, telling no, you no 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 With your said, golf game poof, not at all i said to a friend of mine if i put, wore that much orange i'd look like a fanta bottle just curves in all the <laughs> wrong areas you know it would be bad Orion Carbon would be your little baby fade off the tee. That'd be lovely. <laughs> uh, but hey, Jay Lindeberg must be over the moon with yeah. this attention that they're getting. Like it's it's free publicity. Like no laying up out, out there giving out and Kyle Porter giving out about the fact that Victor's in such a horrible shade of orange. Jay Lindeberg must see the traffic to their website absolutely rocketing right now every single week, major week. For sure. And like also I thought his top of the masters, the flowery top. Again, I'd wear it. I'd wear fairy top. Fairy top's yeah. kind of cool. And yeah, no, I'm all I, in. I, yeah, I, 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 I could not wear the orange pants. And like, it's everyone gives out about it, but like Ricky Fowler wore that for years, and people adored him for it. Like he built a whole brand off of the orange. So all of a sudden, people turn around and go, "Oh, that's a horrible color." It's just ugh, rich. Yeah, but I think I think here's my hypothesis. I think like Irish and English people are way braver with their clothes than American people. Like I don't think you'd ever see an American person out in a golf course wearing a flurry shirt or wearing joggers or I know they wear hoodies, but like they give a stink about our joggers as well. And I love wearing joggers on a golf course. So I, I think it's just a big American thing. That's that's my big take. That's it. Two fashion icons bringing you the what squad <laughs> of golf course etiquette right here. This is the fashion podcast or a golf podcast. <laughs> it's a spin-off, yeah. <laughs> I think it's we've done the man a bit disservice by going nearly an hour now without talking about the fact that Brooks Kepka is probably the greatest golfer of our generation and has won his fifth major, his third PGA championship. The man is insane. Like it, it is actually so good to watch. He's someone that you you want to like, can't really like because he's a bit of a prick really really respect and you go fuck like this is great and then he's got like his wife who's also equally hilarious on social media and is a great character she stirs the pot you're like this is great for golf and then so disappointing he we don't won't see him you know apart from four times a year but like what a major winner yeah like i completely agree with what you say like he's one of these players like I was looking at him on Sunday, I was like, oh man, I actually hate the way that he's so sturdy here coming down the stretch. But at the same time, I fucking love it. Like, it's so cool to watch. Like, we talk about Michael Block there performing under the pressure. Brooks, under the greatest pressure, going for major number five, joining 19 other golfers in the entire world to win five majors. He's now the 20th. And you just watch him and he's like, oh, this is so sick. Like, there's no one going to shake this man. Even Scotty put up a bit of a run on Sunday, shot five under, and you saw him back towards the top of the leaderboard. Brooks just unfazed. And then the six, I could not believe when the 16th hole and Scotty's in the bunker, Victor's in the bunker, and Brooks just, without waiting, just steps up, takes his shot, sticks it to 15 feet or whatever. You're like, ah, this guy, this guy is so bloody good. It's ridiculous. And 
if he wasn't injured so bad, God only knows how many more majors he would have had. He could have seven or eight, and that's not unfeasible. No, and like he's a year younger than Rory, so the fact that he has five already, like he still could get six, seven, possibly eight. You know, like he's he is that that good, and I completely agree. Like they might as well have shook hands on sixteen fairway. Like after he hit that shot, he, like good night, good luck. I'll take the one to make here now. Thank you very much. He was he was so good, and like I think Brooks is a funny one because he always talks about how like you know golf isn't a real sport like baseball, basketball. They're they're my games, they're my sports. But Brooks, he looks like an athlete in the same way when Tiger first burst on the scene, he was athletic, he was stronger than everyone else. Like Brooks is broad, he's burly, but he's not like you know overweight he hasn't got a gut on him or anything but he's broad and strong and that's something that i think actually makes golf look far more athletic is having guys like brooks and and rory as well who's just like you know 99 muscle like one percent body fat on that man but brooks is just so strong and athletic looking that it, it kind of also buys into like this guy's athletic this guy's a different breed to to everyone else yeah and i thought brooks has got sliver yeah, like as in, like I thought he's got more athletic. Like there was a time where I thought oh, maybe he has a little bit of a belly. I think he's absolutely proper ripped. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like he's he's a tank. Yeah, tank. And like when he's standing over that ball and he has the baby fade going and the baby draw with the irons, you're like, there is no one in the world going to beat this man right now. Mm-hmm. And his his lag putting from distance and he gets up and down. And the only person I didn't like on Sunday was Ricky Elliott tell him just to chip out of the trees in 17 because Brooks wanted to go for it and I was like this is going to be class it's going to be like uh, Cameron Smith at the 2022 Players Championship he's going to bottle it and do something stupid but he just looked in complete control apart from that one uh, piece of conversation with Ricky Elliott and uh, I, I don't know like honestly Johnny I don't think eight, me- eight majors right now is unfeasible for Brooks I think he could win another two he could win another three easy yeah I, I mean, like LACC, it could play very, very similar to this week just gone. I mean, he obviously gave it a run in 2019 at the Open when, when Shane won. He likes when the conditions get tough and he likes when it gets gets awful. I think if it's the flat camp, sunny day, not too breezy in the Open, I think it's a bit of a free-for-all. I don't think he would like that. But yeah, like he may win more than one this year, you know? Um, but Ricky, I know uh, Brooks also spoke about the fact that Ricky had been by, been by his side. They've been together since the Challenge Tour days. They've been together for a long time. And Brooks, to be fair to him, gave a lot of credit to the fact that Ricky stuck by him when he was injured and when they made the decision to go to live. Like, uh, we, we could start segueing into this next top discussion point, which is Rory. But that seems like a very good professional team partnership where, like... The caddy is as much of a player or a part of this player partnership as the guy hitting the golf shots. You even saw it with Hovland and his caddy. They were talking through everything. Like Matt Fitz and Billy Foster now is a very is also a successful major winning uh, partnership. Like the caddy plays a big role now. The caddy plays a very, very big role. And I've been calling for about 12 months for a certain player within the top three of the world golf rankings to get rid of a certain caddy because... It's not even that having having change is good, and you need to go and try something different. And the caddy is a pivotal part of 
You're spending five hours every single day, probably six and a half by the time you do your range session, six and a half hours every single day for four days a week at a major championship, seven days a week at a major championship alongside this person. And you have to be able to get along well with them. But as well as that, they also have to be able to challenge your opinion and say, and not have an argument about it and say, listen, I don't think that's the right shot. And that is the great thing about Brooks and Ricky is the fact that number one, they are such good friends, but number two, Ricky will not stand down and just say, Yeah, Brooks, listen, you do whatever you want. It's the same with Billy Foster. Perhaps Billy Foster is part of the reason, or a lot of the reason why Matt Fitzpatrick won a major championship. Big time. Big time. I remember we had Billy on this podcast when we first started, like three years ago now. And Billy Foster said that he he predicted that. Mathis Patrick was going to be the person that he won his first major with. He said he was better than than all. He's as good as, if not better than, all the rest of them that he's been on the bag for. And I mean, we all know who Billy Foster's been on the bag for. Lee Westwood at world number one. Seve he caddied for Tiger at, for a while. Like high praise, but I completely, I completely agree. I think, and I think this is different, by the way, for like now calling for a bit of change on the bag for uh, for Rory. Harry Diamond has been a very good caddy they've won tour championship they've won a lot of tour events but they've been together for a good few years now and they don't have any majors and i think regardless of whether he's his mate or not i think after that long a period you probably need to change up someone in your team if you're not winning majors and that's the only thing that matters to you completely i can even just going through some of the tweets here like bryson had a new caddy last week and he finished tied for fourth Tony Finez all caddy and this is not a dig of Harry Diamond at all. Like, not, I'm, not sure at all. He, I'm sure he is an unbelievably good caddy. But from Rory's perspective, you're go you're coming up on nine years now without a major championship or you've got to change something. And he's going to Rotella and psychologist psychology course and he's bringing swing coach back. You've just got to throw caution to the wind, you say you know what I need to start changing my team here I need someone different I'm like, and it's worked for a lot of players as well this, this is the part that annoys me about Roy is if we look around uh, the PGA Tour like Webb Simpson's old caddy has now gone to Cameron Young um, and Cameron Young is like I think it doesn't seem like it's working out so well so far he hasn't played extremely well the last few weeks but at least Cameron Young was like yeah you know what I'm going to try it Bryson DeChambeau this week oh, Scotty Scheffler and Ted Scott so, like Bones and JT, even Tiger's caddy is now working with Patrick Cantley. Like John yeah. Cava, like these are professional partnerships that are being done around the around the tour. That like Rory and, and Harry have been together since twenty seventeen. Like if you were to say six years had gone by and Rory hadn't won a major in the in like, do you think Rory won a major in the next six years? Do I think? Yeah. So last year I said, I don't think Rory win a major this year when everybody was saying he will. Yeah. And I think six years is a long time. I like to think that he would. So imagine now looking back on in six years' time and he go, he hasn't won in those six years. Something needed to still change. Six years has gone by and six years is a long time to be with that one partnership. Like he's changed, he went, he changed coaches a bunch of times, left Michael Bannon, went back to Michael Bannon, left him, went back to him. There's been lots of changes on that side of things. Or the thing now, like you kind of just got to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. And in 50 years, nobody will look back and say, oh, remember that time Roy spent nine years with Harry Diamond or 10 years. 
they will say Roy had four major championships and he went the next nine or ten without winning the major championship. You've you've just got to say, you know what, Harry, this isn't going to work now. I need to try something different because my career, it's not going to last much longer, and I need to go and win another few major championships. Yep, I think, and look, like I said, I am a huge Aurora. I have had arguments with my friends about how Rory is not a choker, but he needs to step up and he needs to he needs to deliver. I said a few weeks ago on the podcast to Dave that. Rory only has three chances to make mark this season as a B minus or B B plus season, and those are the three majors. He's now lost another one of those opportunities. He's got two chances now to to redeem his season because he could win the FedEx Cup again, and I just would not care. I honestly don't care if Rory never wins the Masters, like. Obviously, I care, but I need him to at least win another major. Like, no. I, I don't think the pressure should be on to win. A, I don't think the pressure should be on to win a Grand Slam. I think he just, at this stage, all you want, get the horse off camel's back, win another major, get it out of the way, and then see what happens at the Masters. If it's the Masters, then so be it. But we cannot look back in Rory's career in a few years, in 20 years, to say, remember that man who's 54 at that stage, and he couldn't win another major. That would yeah. be sickening. Yeah, and like we're talking about it, like his career be a failure. He'd still be the most successful Irish golfer ever by <laughs> a considerable margin, well by one. But it would, uh, yeah, it would just it would by his measure of his ability and by his his talent, it would just be a, a disappointment. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. But uh, hopefully, Royal Liverpool. Are you, are you going to the Open Championship this year? Oof, probably probably not. I've got, I've got enough. I've got enough golf events to be going to this year. I think from the last week of June to the end of September, it's pre- it's pretty jam packed. Also, like I think I'd try and go to either the Ryder Cup or the Solheim Cup. Mm. Both of them are yeah. pretty pretty special events, and they're both I'd in Europe. It. Yeah, Solheim Cup class. Um, sweet. Cool. Listen, I think on the, unless you have any other hot takes you want to take, do you want to get off your chest? This is a safe space. I'm just, I'm a little bit disappointed with Shane Larry. Yeah. Like, I, I just want to see, like, he hasn't really done much this season considering the excellent season that he had in 2022 in terms of, like, his ball striking skills and whereabouts he was. But Shane's a funny one where... He he was on the that performance park podcast a while back where he spoke about basically his win rate is one every three years. He kind of goes through this odd cycle of he gets a win, he has a down year, he has a rebuilding year, and then he has a year where he performs. Yeah, unfortunately, his down year is going to be this year because he won at the BMW and went to last toward the end of last season. That's unfortunate to hear because it's a it's a Ryder Cup year and you don't really want that. But yeah, it that's like a it's 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 a it's an odd kind of routine that he seems to go through, which uh, you really hope he'd break that cycle. Yeah, like he's only had one top five this season from fourteen starts yeah. and five five top twenties. So like, for a man who's a major champion as well, and he'd be at the Open Championship again this year, obviously like be a star worth of the Ryder Cup team I just I want to see him even in top five of leaderboard going into Sunday at some stage before we get to Italy in September like he 
Uh, he he's just been a little bit disappointing this year. Um, Isn't it funny the different standards we hold them to? I think, but like Rory and, and Shane, two incredible talents and incredible golfers. But you know, we're saying we're giving out of like we're basically putting Rory on death watch if he doesn't win a major this year. Whereas Shane, you're like, ah, get a few more top fives, would you? It's a different standard we set for them, which is probably unfair on on Rory. Yeah. Oh, no, I know, I get it. But I'd say that Rory is just like, let's be honest, Rory's a much better player than Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be yeah. And, okay, here's, here's, my, here's my last one. Nothing, oh, God, this is so harsh. Nothing would make me happier than to not see Patrick Cantley compete at a major. I think it would be hilarious for the number four player in the world to never compete in a major championship, apart from the 2019 Masters. When Tiger won, like, like he like I mentioned, number four in the world, and he cannot get into contention on any Sunday at any major apart from the 2019 Masters. I just think it's absolutely sick for a player whose game is so well-rounded and he just can't get there on Sunday evening. Yeah. I I think I think a lot goes into that. I think it, it, there's, you know, it goes back to that Bucs Kepka interview he did in 2019 where he spoke about just, the majors cutting out half the field just by the fact it's a major. Um, I think, you know, in my inexperienced opinion, it looks like that has an impact on on Cantley. But he also like, I think people just don't root for him because he's so slow and he's now become that scapegoat for slow play. Scotty Scheffler is starting to come into that bracket now, and people are starting to turn against him as well for that. But mm. yeah, like, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure. I I want Cantley to win major just from an entertainment perspective like brooks was great because he's a great entertainer and like this is what sport is at the end of the day but i don't i'd nearly feel disappointed if i watched patrick hadley win a major and you go we could have had a way better winner like way <laughs> we'd be asleep winner. by the 15th hole yeah it'd be sunday evening at 12 o'clock and we'd be passed out in the couch thinking no effort of watching this side um, whereas if Rory won, we'd be calling in sick to work the next day. So yeah, exactly, exactly. You uh, uh, find to wherever the party is afterwards. You go. We're going up to Hollywood. Or we're going to wherever he is. Like, but yeah, it's just Cantley's. He's just boring. It's yeah, all but it is. if it okay, very very last point. I don't think Cantley's as slow as people make him out to be. I think Scotty's a lot slower. Yeah. Speed has potential to be very slow, but it's only the fact that people get such entertainment between his from his chats between him and Greller that like no one ever, ever passes any remarks. He's a likable character, but yeah, that's not a hot take. But yeah, <laughs> Sheffler's soul play is a disgrace. Right. Well, if you are still listening after we've kind of pissed off half of the field on the PGA <laughs> Tour, thank you for listening. Um, Mark, thank you very much for coming on. I'm sure we're going to have you on the podcast a lot more. Um, we will definitely be doing plenty over the year. Um, and sure, guys, thank you very much. We'll chat to you soon. Thanks very much, Johnny. Chat soon. On the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.